You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. Yeah, buddy. All right. Well, hey, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? How's everybody feeling? Fall is in the air. Hey, it's so good to have each and every one of you with us today. I want to say welcome to those of you that are watching online. Of course, I want to say welcome to all of you that are gathered with us here this morning. And also for those of you that are new with us, like, thanks for being here. We know that Coming into a church for the first time um, is not always easy, and you see a bunch of strangers, and uh, it's not the easiest thing to do, so thanks for being brave and taking that step out of encourage and just being here with us to to gather with us. We believe that this is a very important part of what we do every week, but it's not the only thing that we do, and if you're new here, there's a few things that I probably want you to know about who we are. First, um, it's kind of like our 3M focus. Uh, We have a mission statement, we call it an on-mission statement, that we want to be on mission to leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go. And then we have a motive, which means the motive, the motivation behind everything we do here is that we want to remove every obstacle to get you to Jesus, because at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And then we have four mantras that kind of keep us focused on Jesus, keeping us moving in the direction that we believe he wants us to go. And our four mantras are that we want to elevate truth and grace. We want to embrace those far from God. We want to extend hope when life hurts, because sometimes we all get this, life hurts. And we want to empower everyone to share the gospel. Well, this past week in preparation for this series and and for this sermon, um, I've I've just been thinking a lot. I've been thinking a lot. I've been kind of processing a lot of information. I'm processing a lot of what I'm seeing on social media. I'm processing a lot of what I'm seeing on the news. And I don't think I need to tell you that we're, we're headed into probably one of the most divisive elections that our country has ever seen. And the way that we could kind of look at it is like our country is kind of made up of camps, right? It's like you're in this camp or you're in this camp. And we see this throughout our life, right? We all have like decisions that we can make that allow us to be, you know, be put in one camp versus another, and not always, but sometimes what happens is one camp is pitted against another camp. It's kind of an us versus them mentality, and it's not just politics. I mean, there's some elementary things too, right? There's Coke versus, are you guys awake this morning? All right, Coke versus Pepsi. There's iPhone versus Android. There's NFL versus college football. Where are my college football fans in here? Yeah, yeah. There's snowboarding versus snow skiing, or maybe homeschooling versus public schooling. Or there's now the people who are the pro-mask people versus the people that are the anti-mask people. There are people who play Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and then there are real Christians. Uh, <laughs> we have people that put creamer in their coffee, and then there are real men. Can I get an amen this morning? All right. I'm offending everyone. That's good. That's good. All right. Throughout our lives, we get this, don't we? Throughout our lives, we have options. And we have choices in front of us. And sometimes, not always, like I said, but sometimes, it leads us to choose sides. And when we choose sides, it can create this kind of us versus them mentality. And there are several things that we could probably look at that lead us to the choices that we make and lead us to the camps that we belong to. But ultimately, I think it comes down to um, the lens in which we look at life. Right? I mean, all of us have a set of lenses in which we look at life, in which we translate the things that we see on and hear each and every day. And like I mentioned right now, we're approaching one of the most divisive elections in our country's history. 
And unfortunately, not only am I watching people choose sides, but I'm watching people be pitted against one another. I'm watching families be pitted against each other as they choose sides, and it's kind of us versus them. I'm watching this divisiveness come in between friends and churches sometimes, leading people that are in this camp to demonize the people in this camp and the people in this camp to demonize the people in this camp. Which is why last week I made the statement that I don't care nearly as much about who you vote for as I do how you treat those who vote differently than you. Over the next three weeks, our teaching team has put together this series called Modnik. And not only do we believe this is going to be a beneficial and educational series, but we also believe it's going to be incredibly timely. We thought that this would be a great time, if any, to invite Jesus to help us to see that the first kingdom that should have our allegiance is not the American kingdom, but it's the kingdom of God. That our first allegiance is to him and that that's the first kingdom that should represent our lives. And if that's going to be the case, then we have all been given a set of lenses in which we should be looking at life and people differently. And maybe the most important thing about the kingdom that we belong to is that we should treat people differently than the rest of the world treats them. And if you haven't figured it out yet, yes, as you probably saw in the bumper, the word modnik is just the word kingdom spelled backwards. Because oftentimes when we see Jesus come on stage about 2,000 years ago and we read through the Gospels, like he flips everything on their head. And sometimes our natural reaction to the things in this life are not the things that God would want us to say or do. And so God, I believe, oftentimes wants us to say, wants to say to us, hey, slow down. Before you post that, remember which kingdom you belong to. Before you say that, remember which kingdom you belong to. Before you, you know, cut off that relationship, remember the kingdom that you belong to. Jesus said, my kingdom... It's not of this world, which means Jesus wants us to see things differently, love people differently, look at life differently than the rest of the world. And the more that we embrace this, the more that I believe we can bring a little bit more of heaven to earth. Let me remind you of what Jesus said when he's kind of framing out what prayer looks like for the disciples. He says, your kingdom come, God, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means when we embrace this upside, upside down kingdom of Jesus, we have the ability to bring a little bit more of heaven to this earth. And what does this upside down kingdom look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a place where more is less. It's a place where others are first. It's a place where we actually descend into greatness. It's a place where generosity flows. It's a place where it's not to us, but to his name be the glory. It's not about us. It's a place that is inclusive. And it's a place where we worship a king who didn't come to exert his power over people, but he came to give his life on a cross. In this upside-down kingdom, is where we find real purpose. It's in this upside-down kingdom where we see Jesus. And so what I want to do right now is I want to pray uh, over this entire series, and I want to pray for our time together. Father, this morning, I pray 
God, that you would help us to see with a different set of lenses if we need to. All of us come in here, and based on whatever experiences we've had in life, our preconceived notions, the things that have even happened to us, it all kind of develops a perspective, a lens in which we look at life. And oftentimes, God, oftentimes it's not the lens in which, in which you want us to see, to see people, to see life, to see how we're supposed to move forward, to see how we're supposed to respond to the things that are happening And so, God, I pray that you would give us a new set of lenses through this series, that you would help us to be reminded that our first allegiance is to you and to your kingdom. And, Father, that if we will embrace that, that we truly can bring a little bit more of heaven to earth. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for our time today, I want to focus in on these two at the top. Again, we're going to be unpacking these over the course of this entire series. But today I want to talk about how more is less and others are first in this upside-down kingdom of Jesus. But let's start here. Let's start in a very practical place. Because outside of the church, the word kingdom is not a word that we use a lot, is it, in our daily repertoire? I mean, when we hear the word kingdom, you might think of you know, the United Kingdom, maybe you think of some kind of territory historically that was ruled by a sovereign. But one of the ways that I've heard kingdom described in the past, I think will be very beneficial for our time today. Here's how I've heard kingdom being described. It's your sphere of control. It's where you rule. It's an empire designed for your character and your values. Maybe for you, it's your main cave. Or for you, it's your kitchen. Uh, maybe it would be your car, right? I mean, so many of us have these little features in our car now. When you get in there, it's like you got it exactly the way that you want it, right? It's your domain. You got the mirror where you want it, the side mirrors, the seats, the heaters, whatever it is. And when somebody gets in there and messes with your domain, like you don't like it. For me, it's my garage. I know where my tools are. I know where my fishing and hunting and camping equipment is. And I've got it all where I want it. And when somebody messes with my little kingdom, Emily will tell you, I'm not a happy camper, because this is my kingdom, this is my domain. Okay, this is starting to sound a little ridiculous, I get it, but we all have our little kingdoms. And just like in our little kingdoms, how they reflect our character, God's kingdom is a place that perfectly reflects His character and His values. In God's upside-down kingdom, you're going to find a place of joy and grace and truth, and kindness, and mercy, and justice, and peace. The kingdom of God was central to the teachings of Jesus. If you look throughout the Gospels over 86 times, or around 86 times, you're going to see the phrase, kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus was trying and attempting to describe this to his listeners, he used several different you know, analogies and metaphors. He said the kingdom of heaven, it's kind of like a wedding reception. It's going to be like a party, a big festival. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be people and there's going to be incredible conversation. And even though all of are invited, not everyone will RSVP. The kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed because when Jesus plants it in you, it may start out small, but the potential of what it can produce is incredible. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast when it's just a little bit of it is spread in some dough. It affects the whole batch of dough, just like the kingdom is alive and growing inside of us, allowing hope to rise. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sows seed. 
And as he sows the seed, it's going to fall on different types of soil. And depending on the type of soil that it falls on will depend on the kind of results that you will get from that seed. And Jesus uses this as a metaphor. He says, I'm trying to plant aspects of the kingdom of God. I'm trying to sow aspects of the kingdom of heaven inside of your heart. But depending on the condition of your heart will depend on the results that you get. Matthew 7, he says, not everyone, not everyone who pretends to know God will enter the kingdom of heaven. But maybe the most tangible and relatable thing that Jesus ever said on the kingdom of heaven is in Matthew chapter 6 when he's referencing people who sometimes get caught up in all the wrong things. How we begin to worry through life and we worry about all the wrong things, things that he said, listen, I'm going to take care of those things, so why do you keep worrying about them? And he gives us examples like food and drink and clothing, and don't we worry about those things way too often? I mean, maybe every day that you leave church you get in an argument with your spouse about where you're going to go eat, right? I mean, we just focus on things that sometimes really don't make that big of a difference. And when he's referencing this, he says, but listen, seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things, all these other things that you have a tendency to worry about, not necessarily the things that you want, but things that you need. Listen, all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want you to hold that thought. I think one of the greatest traps that we fall into in life, one of the greatest traps of this world, one of the greatest traps from our enemy is this notion that if we could just have a little bit more of whatever, if we could just have a little bit more, then we would be happy. And with time, I think that kind of pursuit and that kind of focus, when we have this kind of predisposition of, man, if I could just have a little bit more of you fill in the blank, then I would be happy. What happens is I believe that does create within us this type of anxiousness about tomorrow. Well, man, if I could just get there because I can't be content until I at least get there. And so what happens is we get caught up in this kind of trap where, hey, I just need a a little bit more power or position. I need just a little bit bigger house with a little bit more square footage. I need just a little bit more of this kind of stuff or that kind of stuff. If I just had a little bit more money, just a little bit more, then I would be happy. There was a survey taken many years ago, and it Reference two different groups of people. It referenced people that made around $25,000, and a question was asked, hey, what would it take for you to be happy? Like, what's enough? And the average of those answers from people who made about $25,000 a year was $54,000. If we had about $54,000, then we would be happy. The same question was asked to people who made around $100,000 a year. Hey, what would it take? Like, what does a little bit more look like for you? What would it take for you to be happy? And The people who made $100,000, the collective answer, the average of those answers was around $196,000. And so we can conclude from that that I guess the American dream is actually making twice the amount of what you already make right now. I think you see it. And I think you get it. That with this kind of focus in life, with this kind of like it's never enough kind of predisposition in our life, we have a tendency to not seek God's kingdom first. And I've seen way too many marriages. I've seen way too many families, way too many friendships. And I've even seen faith, listen to me, 
sacrificed on the altar of just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Which is why in God's upside-down kingdom, more, more is actually less. And I believe if we will embrace this, we will begin to remove ourselves from this vicious cycle of comparison even, of trying to keep up, of trying to see that, man, if I could just have what they have, then I would be happy. I want to show you something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that might be one of the most powerful things that he ever said in the Gospels. He said this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Hey, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit? And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? If you get every bit of that little bit more that you're striving for, what do you get if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, with almost everything that we pursue in life, don't miss this. It comes at a cost. With almost everything that you will pursue in life, it will come at a cost. And sometimes that cost is worth it, right? I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have ambitions. If you're trying to get that master's degree or that college degree, you're probably going to have to sacrifice some social time, some recreational time to make sure that you get what you're going after. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. But unfortunately, and far too often, the things that we're pursuing that we want, not necessarily the things that we need, but the things that we're pursuing that we just want, what gets sacrificed is things like time with our kids. But, but they'll understand, won't they? Maybe we sacrifice character and integrity. Hey, listen, if you're going to get ahead in life, that's just what you do, right? I mean, if you're going to be able to get that job, if you're going to be able to put yourself in a position to be above that other person that maybe deserves that job better than you, you're going to have to cross a few lines. You're going to have to make a few compromises. I mean, that's just what people do, right? The dog-eat-dog kind of mentality. Honestly, if I look back at all the different things that I've sacrificed at times in my life for the sake of just the things that I want, it breaks my heart. Sometimes we set aside things for the sake of what we want, not things that we need. I want to be clear about that, but for the things that we want. And they are things that have incredible value to them. Things that actually do bring worth to our life. Godly things that have been sacrificed or simply set aside simply because of what people wanted. But when we seek God's kingdom first, when we seek His kingdom above all else, listen to me, the more that we're looking for is often found in less. The more that you're looking for is often found in less. And let's just get real this morning. You could be here this morning and Maybe part of your story is that you were one of those things that were sacrificed so that somebody else could get ahead or that somebody else could get what they wanted. I've actually got several examples in my life of times where someone sacrificed either my relationship with them or something that was important to me that should have been more important than whatever it is that they were you know, putting above me. And maybe that's a part of your story where somewhere along the way somebody sacrifice you and your needs and your heart and your life to some extent 
for the sake of simply something that they wanted. And that should never happen in the upside-down kingdom of heaven. Because in the upside-down kingdom of heaven, others, others are first. In the upside-down kingdom of heaven, people don't use other people. People don't lie. They don't cheat. They don't abuse. They don't manipulate. And they don't abuse their way to power. There are four, four words that Jesus uttered at one point throughout the Gospels that have made a great impact in my life, and I hope that they will make a great impact in your life. And I want to give you some context before I read it. There was a time where a couple of the disciples were having a side conversation, and they're like, well, hey, what are we going to get out of this? Like, when we get to, the, when we get to heaven, like, what position am I going to have? Am I going to be on the right side of Jesus? Am I going to be his go-to man? And they begin to argue about their position, and Jesus kind of overheard this, and he pulls the guys together, and he goes, come together and listen, I need you to hear this. He's called them together, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Four of the most impactful words in my life have been those four words right there. No matter what you're seeing other people do, no matter what other people do to get ahead, no matter what was done to you, no matter what you see as normal on social media, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of God is a not-so-with-you kind of kingdom, an others-first kind of place. I want to share just a little piece of my story really quick for those of you that might be able to identify with this, because this could be an area where you need to put on a new lens to see, the, to, to see life the way that God wants you to see it. Uh, early on in life, and I'm going to give you a quick flyover of this, um, some tough things happen uh, to me and our family. And I kind of grew up with this mentality where if you're going to get it done, then you pull up, you know, <laughs> you pull up your pants, you, whatever the analogies are, I can't even, go, yeah, pull up your pants. That's probably a healthy thing to do every day. Um, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is what I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> Put your pants on every day. That's a lesson. Let's pray. All right. <laughs> but anyway, I kind of grew up and I, it's like, man, if anything's going to happen, Aaron, it's going to you're going to have to do it. It's hard work. You're going to have to make it happen. You're going to have to look out for yourself. And it was never kind of like an arrogant predisposition, but it definitely was a selfish predisposition where it's like, I'm going to have to look out for me because I've had too many examples in my life where people were not looking out for me. And what, that, what happened with that is it created an unhealthy focus on myself. And as I grew older, and more specifically, as I grew more mature in my faith, I started to see that this is not the kingdom of heaven. And when I'd lay down at night and I'd just kind of process through the day, what you know, kind of this mentality of like just look out for number one, it made me think about how everything around me was affecting me. It was so kind of this self-centered way of approaching life. And that's just kind of how I viewed it because I had to look out for me and I had to make sure that I was taking care of myself. And it created this unhealthy type of anxiousness about tomorrow. It created this unhealthy type of worry about tomorrow. 
And I started to focus way too much on myself. And then as I matured in faith and I started to see that Jesus wanted me to approach life differently and I kept coming back to this one verse in Philippians that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility. Consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you not looking out to your own interests, but looking to the interest of others. And as I began to move towards more towards God's kingdom, and began to put on a new set of lenses in my life. And I started to focus more on other people and serving other people and stopped focusing so much on myself. There was a peace. I can't even explain it. And it wasn't like an overnight thing, but I could tell you there was a three-year period of my life where peace, a type of peace, came over me. Where I began to see things differently. I stopped focusing so much on how everything was just affecting me. Should we have a healthy amount of focus on ourselves? Sure. Hopefully common sense would tell you that. And I think of the verse in Philippians 4 when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. And that's exactly what started to happen in my life. So I don't know what your story is. I don't know if part of your story is that something happened. That usually is the case for most of us. Something happened. And from that point forward, there was this kind of unhealthy mentality that took over where it's like, I got to look out for myself. Nobody else is going to look out for me. And it, it caused you to kind of have this unhealthy focus on yourself. Not that, again, not that you shouldn't have a, a certain amount of focus on yourself. We all get that. But in God's upside-down kingdom, we can't be consumed with self and have an others-first mentality as well. And so I want to encourage you this morning, whatever that looks like, for you to have this others-first mentality. Back in 1993, there were about 100 religious leaders that gathered together and came together from all different faith backgrounds, you know, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, whatever, you know, just all the different backgrounds. And they came together with one hope in mind, and that was to bring peace throughout the world. And as they were gathering together, there was this kind of universal affirmed ethic that, that kind of surfaced, and it became the global ethic that they walked away with. And it came from a man who spoke it into existence about 2,000 years ago. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. We know this as the golden rule, right? Do unto others, maybe as you've heard it said in the King James Version. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yes, a sentence that was spoken by a man 2,000 years ago is still to this day universally acclaimed and honored by both inside and outside the faith. And when we have this other's first mentality, you know what you can't do? You can't be in a camp that says it's us versus them. And so here's what I want to do. I want to read to us several different passages that use the phrase one another. Because in God's kingdom, it's a one another kingdom. And there are a hundred references in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, that reference this mentality of one another. When we approach God's upside down kingdom, it is a one another type of kingdom. A place where he says, be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. 
Now, let me be careful there before I move on. That doesn't mean you have to affirm something that you believe is sinful, that goes against your moral code or what we know that is biblically true. I'm not asking you to be passive. I'm asking you to be civil. Accept one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving to one another. Seek good for one another. And don't repay evil for evil. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. Through love, serve one another. Before I move on to the next one, are you, you know, we're going back to what I said last week, are you potentially not putting Jesus on display in your life just because somebody has a different political view than you? Maybe it's your neighbor and maybe it's kept you from actually reaching out and serving them just because they hold a different viewpoint than you? No. Through love, serve one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Husbands and wives don't deprive one another of physical intimacy. I just wanted to get that one in there. It's there. It's biblical, guys. Bear one another's burdens. If we create an us versus them mentality, if we get in camps where we demonize the person and the people in the other camp, can we carry each other's burdens? If you actually look at that entire verse, it says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Trace, right now, the people in our nation are hurting, they are divided, and they are looking for answers in all the wrong places. But if we will seek first His kingdom and begin to see that less is often the more that we're looking for, if we will put others first and not have an unhealthy consumption of self, I believe that we can bring a little bit more of God's heaven to earth, a place where more is less, where others, they're first, where we actually descend into greatness, where generosity flows, where not to us, it's not about us, but to his name be the glory, a place that is inclusive in a place where we worship a king who hung on a cross. Let me pray for us. Father, some of this stuff is not going to come natural. God, when we begin to see your upside-down kingdom and start to process how it can be played out in each of our lives, how it should replace the lens in which we often look at people and often look at life, it's not going to be easy. And so, God, throughout these next three weeks, I pray that you would continue to point out to us, to show us, where we're living maybe more so in the American kingdom sometimes than we're living in your upside-down kingdom. And not to say that we shouldn't take pride in being in what we believe is an incredible place to live, an incredible country with incredible freedoms. But Lord, if we don't seek first your kingdom, then we typically are following a path that won't get back to Jesus. And so God, I pray that as a people who are on mission to leave a trace of your love everywhere we go, that our willingness to live in your upside-down kingdom, to allow more to be less and allow others to be 
first, that we will actually leave traces based on how we're living our life, that if somebody were to observe how we're living, it's going to lead them back to Jesus. And so, Father, we need your help because uh, this is not going to come natural and it may not come easy to a lot of us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.